Okay. Um, so we're going to kick things off here. Um, just so we don't fall behind. And there's a few other people uh, who will be coming in. So we'll just kick things off uh, to get things underway because uh, we've got a lot to get through in the next hour. Um, so this session is um, called How to Validate Your Startup Idea. Um, so what we're going through is a few concepts, but before we begin, a bit of an intro on the guys behind this. So my name is George. Um, I'm an investor and head of the accelerator Adiverse. And Adiverse is a venture capital fund Um which invests in early stage companies uh, in, in, in Africa, in uh, crypto and, and, and fintech space. And the Nodo is a Pan-African Web3 discovery and news uh, service platform. So we are doing a series of events um, going forward um, um, on a monthly basis where we'll go through different concepts for startup founders to kind of tackle. Um, and what we'll be doing as well is um, kind of investigating different areas and that there will also be with Nodo um, certification as well for completing these kind of workshops as well uh, going forward. So a little bit more about Nodo as well. So they have a 40,000 users, 600 products listed. Nodo is the pan-African community platform with a vision to inform and educate consumers on the latest Web3 technology products and services being developed across 55 countries within the African continent. So Nodo was founded by Emergo Africa, a venture arm focused on Africa and the Middle East and a regional entity of the Cardano blockchain founding entity, Emergo. Emergo Africa is a $100 million fund invested in 40 companies as of Q2 2023. Cool. So let's kick things off, guys. So um, on, on the agenda today, what we're going to go through is idea generation, market validation, and then experimentation. And we'll be walking through this um, over the next hour. If people have questions, there will be times to stop for questions to be asked. Um, so, you know, invite everyone to do that. Also, you could submit them in the chat. And I think there's also a, a Twitter uh, feed as well. So questions can be asked over there as well uh, with Nodo. Um, cool. Okay. So when it comes to startups and startup success, um, Bill Gross, who's a founder of Idea Lab, was a really, really big venture studio um, in California. Um Main reasons why startups fail are the timing, the team, and the execution, the idea, and the business model. It's also the reason why they succeed. So an example of this would be um, Airbnb starting up during a, a global recession. People wanted extra room, um, had extra rooms, and they wanted to make extra money. And so it was kind of like the perfect timing to create this kind of like new revenue stream for normal people. Um. And then also around like the idea, the business model, these are contingent on a few factors, but it's something as well to kind of um, think about as well. Okay, so <clears throat> when thinking about an idea, specifically a startup, a tech startup idea, a lot of people kind of have this focus on a tech-enabled solution, right? And it's like you're thinking of the end state, the end product that you want to create. You've got this idea in your mind that you want to build something. Um, when in actual fact, the last thing you want to do is start with a solution. You don't want to start with the end state that you kind of want to build. You want to start with the problem. Um, and a lot of the times what we see in, 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 from an investor perspective with startups is that they always start and they marry themselves to the technology or the idea or the industry and not necessarily the problem itself. 
So they marry the problem. What you want to be doing is marrying the problem. You don't want to marry the technology. An example here is like the, the, the laser beam eyes of so many people in the crypto space that are so fixated on the technology that they're not actually building something that people want. It doesn't solve a problem, right? So really think about what is the problem that I'm solving. That is the thing that you want to be falling in love with. It's the problem that you're solving. And something I heard the other day was like, people, sometimes people kind of like entrepreneurs put together a book of ideas that they want to work on. But actually it may be better to have a book of problems that you want to build for, that you want to help solve. So you want to be focusing on uh, the problem, not the solution. The other thing that we're picking up on from an investor perspective is the amount of people that will just shoehorn a, a solution out of a particular technology. And oftentimes we see people kind of basically going through this process of like AI is cool. Blockchain is cool. Uh, FinTech is cool. Um, you know, React Native is cool. I should make something with it. And it comes off very blatantly in the pitches that we receive as an investor because we always see people say, oh, it's an AI-enabled blockchain fintech solution, which just for us just means that it's complete bullshit, right? And it's not actually solving a problem. It's just this buzzword jargon um, because the, what they focused on is the solution, not actually building something that solves a, pro that solves a problem. The other thing is, is getting and testing ideas. Um, so we're going to walk, walk through how this is done at the moment, um, how ideas can be generated, uh, and how they should be tested as well. Okay, so when it comes to generating ideas, one of the things that people fall down on as this first step is they set out and they kind of have this, they've gone to the problem end of the spectrum, which is great. But they're kind of like, I want to solve world poverty. I want to do something great. I want to kind of like do this like ridiculously big thing. Those often lead to failed startups and you know poor execute an inability to execute on it because it's too vague, it's too great of a problem to actually fix. Some of the best startups in the world started with a very, very, very niche, small focus like problem um and then they expanded right so stripe for example focused on developers from small to sme developers who needed like to add credit card details on their company that company is now worth tens of billions of dollars and now that they are actually increasing the you know the vision is to increase the gdp of the um of the internet i think um when i last looked at it but they started with a very small niche they did that niche very, very, very well. Um, and then they expanded. So one thing to kind of like check yourself on when you first kind of like think about getting into entrepreneurship or or getting a startup idea is, is this like too, too great of an idea? Now, this obviously like, you know, people want to be, you know, kept in a box, don't want to be kept in a box. People don't want to like have their ideas sort of like deflated. But when it comes down to it, like, you know, if it's the case of between actually executing on something and building something, you know, maybe, maybe deflate the ego a little bit and think about what am I actually focused on a niche that is going to lead to success, as opposed to having this like, way too vague of a concept, like solving world poverty. 
Um, there's too abstract, too difficult to execute on, and will also lead to problems when you're actually trying to build something because it's too vague. Then the other thing is like, well, what about boring ideas like tax accounting software? Um, these tend to have a high hit rate. They tend to do very, very well because a lot of times people don't go into them. A lot of people are attracted to very flashy, sexy, romantic ideas within the startup space, within like, you know, the business space, but they don't focus on the boring stuff that actually is not just really important, but generates a lot of money because there actually are really critical problems that need to be solved. Also, when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, running a startup is very similar, right? So when you're in the trenches building something, you're going to be speaking to users all the time, you're going to be debugging, you're going to be altering, moving quickly. It's the same whether you work in a, you know, this particular market and this particular market. So the day-to-day -day running of a company, it's going to ultimately be the same. It's just the optics, which is different, right? So think about boring ideas. It doesn't have to be solving world poverty, increasing global access to finance. Why not start with something a little bit boring, like tax accounting software for small, medium enterprises in Lagos, like very niche specific regions, because actually getting nailing that and doing it right can lead to vastly better results than having a way bigger, too vague of idea um, to start with. Okay, so what we talked about is like getting into that testing idea. So starting with a problem. The, the way to think about this and the way to kind of also frame this like with this problem that in itself is a vague concept. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, first off, do you have a relationship with the problem? Is it something that you, your friends, your family or community have experienced, experienced on a daily basis? And is there a relevance to, to your life? And is there a framing point that you understand it deeply? Do you have deep intuition, unique insights about that problem that other people don't necessarily do, right? Have you spent the last 10 years um, in a particular sector to understand it? Or if you're, maybe you're earlier, if you're younger, you're just out of college, have you experienced that problem yourself um, that you're trying to solve? Now, what can you actually do to start engaging with the problem, right? So first thing to do, and the biggest thing that, one of the biggest mistakes that I see a lot of people make is they don't talk about the problem or the or, or the ideas that they have. Like, oh, I'm not going to tell you because, you know, they might steal it. Biggest misconception about startups is that there's a million dollar idea. There's no such thing as a million dollar or a billion dollar idea. It's all in the execution. It's all in the timing. And as we said earlier, it's the timing, the business model, the economic context. Talk about your idea that you've had, right? If it's a solution to a problem, talk about it with people in the industry, that people who have attempted to fix that problem, founders that are actually working on adjacent problems, um, your friends that have relationship to the problem. Talk about it because as you talk about it, you'll realize that either it's a it's 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 maybe a bigger issue than you first thought, or maybe there's a different way of solving it, right? That's actually more effective and it's easier. Um, or, or, or can be done by you plus one other person, et cetera. So brainstorming and talking about the idea is critical. It also gives you that feedback that you need because a lot of the times people can get stuck in their minds thinking that like, oh, this is a fantastic idea. This is a fantastic idea. I'm going to make a million dollars out of this idea next month. They don't talk about it. And ultimately it's a shit idea that no one actually wants. And they would have found that out, you know, 
if they just spoken to people. But a lot of the times people don't want to speak to people because they don't want to be told that their idea or find out their idea actually sucks. Was actually that's the best thing you can do to guard against failure because what you're doing is you're identifying how that problem is perceived and interacted with by a lot of people. So that's critical. Talk to people, talk to friends, talk to community leaders, talk to other founders. You can reach out to them on LinkedIn, Twitter. You can message them. But critical to talk to people about what you're building your idea. Also, brainstorm with potential co-founders, right? So if you have friends that you've worked with, um, you know, college friends, high school friends, um, talk to them about like, because if they're potential, um, you know, co-founders, that's also a critical thing that, you know, you're going to have to at some point potentially look into. Um, so, you know, flashing out the idea with them is, is helpful. Next thing is, are you qualified uh, to work on the problem? Now, biggest thing in Silicon Valley and, Cal you know, that whole tech startup, no one gives a shit where you went to university, right? No one gives a shit about like what you've studied, what qualifications you have, um, or other issues around, you know, your educational credentials. It's about what you've built and what you are building, right? So when I say qualified, I don't mean the certificate that you have uh, because you completed this college degree, this fancy thing or whatever. What I mean is that, like, do you have the capacity, the insight to build what you are thinking about building when it comes to solving this problem that you've identified? So this could be one of the biggest things that I find is that a lot of people co-found a team and there's no technical people on the team. Now, when I say technical, I mean the capacity to build something um, internally. Right now, this is like for an app, for example, if you thought of an app that solves this big problem that businesses or consumers have, are, are you are you a software engineer? Can you actually build the thing that you are you are um, that you you've thought the problem that you're you're willing to you, the solution that you have to solve the problem? Right? Do you do you have the capacity internally to do that? Do you have the insight because you've worked in a particular industry? Did you did you study it? Have you worked in um, you know, accounting software for years. So you have that insight to do it. So that's what I mean by qualification. And talk about like, is there a deeper relevance to the problem um, that you have beyond just like being aware that it's a problem? But do you have like deep insight, unique insight to it? And do you have the capacity to actually attack the problem right now? Now, if you're building something that's hardware, that would mean like, you know, do you actually, does the co-founding team have that capability to build that solution internally? Because if they don't, then that's a real big consideration because like if they're not the right team, you know, they're not qualified to build it. So qualification does not mean education, specifically like the things that you've achieved. It's do you have the internal competence and the relevance to the, the problem to attack it? And again, it could be that you just need to bring in another co-founder. To, who's actually also, you know, they've already built something in a parallel space. They've already done something here or they're aware of this problem and they have the skill set. So you can build, you can craft a team to, to, to enable that qualification. But this is important because we see a lot of people who have, you know, they may be deeply qualified for another thing, but they're like, oh, I want to build this fintech app. And they have no experience in the sector. They don't have the technical skills. Um, they just are aware of this problem and that it makes money. Um, if the solution could make money, they're not qualified for it. Okay. So wait, what, coming up with ideas, and th this, this is an interesting thing because ideas um, 
obviously can be generated. Like you can ponder on, on things, but organic ideas tend to be the better one because a lot of the time when people think of ideas and they think of problems, they tend to come up with problems that don't really exist. Right. So you'll, you'll build something for six months, two months, years, it could be years at an end. And actually no one really wants it. Right. No one wants the thing that you're building. And it's because you created it in a vacuum. Like you came up with the idea and you forced it because you desperately wanted to become a business, a, 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 techn- a founder of a startup when actual no one wanted the thing that you were building. Now, obviously there are ways to mitigate that by speaking to potential users, but there's also ways that you can kind of like put yourself in the right context to come up with the right ideas. So for example, coming and becoming an expert on something, right? Can you work at something before you start it? Right. A, again, an ego thing. People want to become the startup founder because they want to look cool. They want to go and work at a startup that works in the sector that you are very interested in to begin with. If you want to do an ed tech thing, go and work in an ed tech company. If you want to work in climate tech, go and work at a climate tech startup. See how the inner working, see how they are attacking the problems like in that particular sector or whatever. Um. Startups are great because they give you that exposure to the problem in that sector, but it also gives you, tends to give you much more exposure to kind of like the interaction as well, because um, startups are smaller. So there's more responsibility. It's not like a bureaucratic, bigger company where you're not necessarily going to interact with it as much. And then build things that you find interesting, right? When it comes down to it, if you start, if the starts to succeed and you start building it and working on it, you're going to be working on it every single day of the week, 24-7. If you don't find it interesting, then it's going to be a grueling process, right? And it's not going to help you to get up in the morning. And when the downtimes come during a startup journey, it's going to be hard because you're not going to be motivated because you're not interested in what you're building. So make sure the content and the, you know, the context that the vertical in which you're building for is interesting to you, right? Because that's going to motivate you in the, in, in the lower times. Um, and it just also makes it like more interesting for you as motivating for you to, to work on it. Okay. Now, what about thinking intentionally? Now this, this again, prefacing this, it is dangerous to do this, right? It's dangerous because you can force yourself to come up with an idea that is ultimately crap, right? That no one actually wants and is not really solving a problem but you've been like, I need to think of a problem. I need to think of a problem that people, that that I can build a startup around. So word of warning, organic ideas, because they've come up, because you've experienced the the problem firsthand, tend to be a bit better to work on, but you can think intentionally around it. Okay, so what does this mean? Number one, starting with a team that is good and qualified to build. So this is talking about accumulating that people that can build something that are in the right context to actually work on something, right? So if you want to work on a fashion startup, do they have the operational understanding to put something together? Have they worked in that field before? Are they aware of like how like contracts work in that sector? Um, do they know how to, what growth channels make sense to, to um, and it also is like, do they have the understanding of like the problems faced within that sector? Do they have a personal relationship with it? So second thing you need to go through is like, you know, start with a problem you've encountered, right? Again, personal reference point. Have you personally experienced this problem? If you have, that tends to be quite helpful because there's so many things in that intuition around building a solution for it. That's going to be like helpful here. Go through and then think about also what you can do is like think about jobs you've had, life experiences, internships. 
what are things that you wish existed during those times that would have made your life easier? Um, now that, that, that is something that like, you know, when, when I was building, when I had an internship in this oil and gas sector, I noticed that all of the software was done, you know, all of the scheduling was done with pen and paper. And it caused so many problems, super expensive down, down and outages and things like that. Then you're like, okay, why can't that be digitized? So that is a point you've had ex personal, you know, and professional ex experience and exposure to that problem. And you also probably have the uh, connections to actually start making headway on it. Like, you know, the people who've interacted with it, you know, the companies that were there that you consulted. So that, that also is kind of like, if you aren't going to set yourself up to think about problems of experience, that's a good starting point. Now, the other thing you can do is wish for things that you wish existed, right? Um, so this is, like, I wish there was an app that did ABC. Now, this is referred to as tar pit ideas by Y Combinator. Y Combinator is one of the most prolific startup investors and accelerators in the world, probably the leading in the world. And tar pit ideas, they define as these ideas that are like, they seem like very, very doable ideas and, and they make a lot of sense, but they're basically impossible to solve for, for multiple reasons. But loads of people have always tried to solve them, but no one's ever managed to do it. And a classic example that they give us of a target idea is I wish there was an app that helped all of my friends coordinate getting together and hanging out and having doing events. That has been tried, you know, yes, in 10 years time, there may be an app that does that. But that is a classic example of something that like everyone wishes it existed. But when it comes down to it, people just use iMessage. Like it's fine. People don't need an alternative and they've seen alternatives and they don't want to use them, right? So target ideas are these ideas that there's, there's not a list for it, but you've got to be aware of like target ideas will get you stuck, but they'll be so tantalizing. They'll be like, it looks like a good market. It looks like a solution that a lot of people would theoretically use. It's a it's a brand that people use or, or, or an app or whatever that people would it makes sense in my mind to do it, but actually like you haven't experimented with it and people don't end up using it. And a lot of these ideas kind of like will, will, will waste 10, you know, years of your life um, in, going into. Next thing to think about, if you are thinking about intentionally, are the macro trends that have changed human behavior. COVID obviously opened up a ton of things. Um, for people to interact with, not just remote teams and infrastructure and software for remote teams, but also things like um, how you interact with shops, how do you order online? Um, so is there macro trends that have actually changed human behavior that open up opportunities for you to do it like home virtual gyms, things like that, PTs that work with you online, um, remote team infrastructure. Um, so th those are another things as well to kind of think about. Next thing is variance uh, on growth companies, right? So is there something just doing very, very well um, in a particular sector that you would actually use as a proxy elsewhere, right? So an example of this is Flexport in the US, which is like a shipping infrastructure platform. That could work very well and has worked very well in South America. Are there things that have worked some regions that have would work elsewhere? Is there a variation on a big high growth company that actually would work in a similar market um, that you could build. And 
one thing to note here is that if you are translating something that has worked well in a certain region, putting it into another one, think about why it hasn't existed beforehand, right? Um, competition in a market isn't necessarily a bad thing. If like you, you know, it means that there's a market for it, the idea works. But if you want people to come to your thing, it's got to work generally 10 times better. It's got to be much more compelling as people come over. If you're starting something up in a different market that looks similar to another market, you've got to be aware of like other features as well. So for example, like developing countries, um, if you're translating like a last mile delivery company to there, you aren't necessarily going to have the supply side. If, you know, people can't afford access to like cars and stuff. Um, it's not like setting something up here in New York where um, you, you know, could um, everyone with a supply everyone with a everyone with a car could actually do the, the last mile delivery because a lot of people have access to public transport or cars or whatever other regions is not necessarily going to exist in that you know in as much abundance so think about that but variance on existing companies in other regions has worked quite successfully in the past for other people as well um talk to people and see what their problems are so this is, it may seem obvious but people don't do it talk to your friends talk to your colleagues talk to your peers talk to very particular kinds of industries, right? So there's one company that came out of Y Combinator recently, A to B, and they basically became industry experts. Um, they went to truck stops around the US and talked to truckers and like, what problems do you have? Then they started to generate a list of like, okay, these are the problems that they can keep complaining about. This is what we should build. And they did, now they're crushing it. So speak, like, speak to people, speak to people what the problems are. Don't frame it necessarily. Think about like how you're having those conversations. Don't just walk up to random people like, what problems do you have? Because that could open up a can of worms. But be intentional. Like if you want to go into the healthcare space, talk to doctors. Like what are your experiences of like, you know, doing this thing? Have you noticed that, you know, what are your pain points? What causes you the most frustration? Is there, you know, what's the biggest time suck that you have? Um, what's something that's very expensive in your industry that, you know, um you 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 bury a lot of resources into so speak to people um biggest thing that startups can start founders can do is go and speak to people and ha have that interaction because a lot of the time you think of ideas in these silos in your own mind but actually it doesn't really exist in reality but going and speaking to people is uh super critical next thing is what industries are clearly broken right um what industries is there a very particular um you know, issue with that you can jump in and do it. Now, the 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 caution here is like education or healthcare in the US. A lot of people are immediately like, oh, healthcare is broken in the US or oh, education is broken. Okay, but that goes back to the point of like it's way too vague to say that, right? Yes, you can investigate it and there aren't going to be opportunities within it, but don't just be like, I'm going to do an education app because education is broken, right? It's way more nuanced than that. And also on the macro trends there, just thinking about industries, if there's like a legislation that has come in as well, that is also a major um, opportunity, right? If, if it, all of a sudden the government says, okay, SMEs, small, medium enterprises need to do X, Y, Z, that is when you can step in and be like, let's build infrastructure to make that really easy. That actually has led to so many uh, unicorns uh, because they've just kind of been like, okay, they, they're forced to, you know, the, this problem is now forced upon um, users. And so coming in with a solution for it is actually really, it's a really big uh, pain reliever. 
and then find someone that has an idea. The other thing as well is that like, you know, speak to colleagues, friends, there's a Y Combinator matchmaking system, which you can enter your details in. And some people there have existing ideas that they want to work on. Um, you can step into that. So some people have already done all of this thinking intentionally, testing, speaking to users, MVP, da, 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 da. You can meet them when they're already there, right? You don't have to start from the beginning always necessarily. But again, it will go back to your qualification. Like if you're going to do that, make sure it's an industry potentially that you have experience in. So Paul Graham um, is the founder of Y Combinator, one of the most prolific uh, angel investors, um, founders, advisors in Silicon Valley. Um, he's actually an English guy uh, that has, uh, I think he moved to the US when he was young, uh, but it was um, basically has been at the start of this software boom in, this, in, in, uh, in Silicon Valley. And he's written a lot of essays um, online. So definitely worth reading his blog. So if you type in Paul Graham blog, he, words of wisdom, um, and definitely something to to really listen into and absorb. But then what he says is that thinking of your idea is a good starting point, right? So it's not it's not the be all and end all. Chances are the idea that you have now, even if it's the solution to a problem that you've identified, chances are that it will change once you start deploying it, right? So it's 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 once you start executing, building, figuring out how things work. So don't don't let it kind of suck up all of your thing and be the entire emphasis. It's a starting point. It's not the end point. Okay, at this point, I'm going to pause. Does anyone have any questions on any of that so far? If you want to submit it to the chat or uh, put your hand up. No? Okay, we'll press on. Okay, so... When we're thinking about the problem, that, you know, as I mentioned, is a vague concept to an extent. Um, okay, so we have a question. Uh, Chime, you want to unmute and ask a question? Uh, can you hear me? Yep. Okay, thank you. So um, my question is around, um, you know, you talked about... Um, discussing the idea, you know, reaching out to people talking about your idea. Um, so and you said something about okay, most uh, young startup founders would I want to start do run startups, they feel like oh, the idea is so great, they can't share it because people will steal the idea, you know, stuff like that. And you're like saying, Oh, the ideas can be stolen. So, my question is around um, so what do you do when it's a bit sensitive? Maybe you're building a sensitive, you're building solutions for a sensitive domain or a kind of problem, uh, and maybe you have to build in a stealth mode. Uh, because we already have companies that we know, actually startups and successful companies today that were built in stealth mode. Can you try and, um, uh, should I say, reconcile these two, these two things for me? Yeah, so that's a good point. Um, and again, it depends on the context. Like it's going to depend on the individual startup. I think generally what I'm talking, why I'm talking about when I say talking to people is you want to speak to your potential users about what you're building. And this is very important with stealth mode companies, like sensitive. It's like the reason you're in stealth mode, right? So stealth mode is no one is familiar with this. Stealth mode is basically when like you're not revealing what you're doing until you launch and then you launch as like a big fanfare and then you go off. 
I, I would argue that it doesn't negate speaking to users. Like you have to speak to users anyway, because you don't want to build in a silo. It's just that like, you know, your users are going to very particular kind of user, but you want to speak to your users, right? And if you're working in a very like, if it's like a patent or something, or like, you know, something you want to protect, like, yeah, just take precautions that like, you know, people don't blurt out about it, but like you would still need to speak to users just because you're building in stealth. Don't kind of like let you think that that like speaking to users is not important you still need to like your your, your startup still needs to solve a problem and, and actually like solve it for users and in a way that they can interact with um so i would say yes obviously there's going to be certain contexts in which you know you're not going to start posting about it on youtube and being like oh we're doing this thing like come and you know roll up you know whatever however you still need to speak to users um so if you're if you're in stealth mode, like you just need to take precautions like about something. Um, but you know, there will be use cases where you know it is more um protected or whatever, but you know, it, it yeah, still speak to users. Um, that's what I would say. Um don't don't let the idea that just because you're doing something in stealth mean that you have to build it in a silo. Good. Thank you. Thank you. That answers it perfectly. Thank you. I appreciate that. Cool. Um, okay. So what is it? What I mean by the problem? Uh, because this this is somewhat vague. So can you articulate the problem you're attempting to solve? Uh, if you can't, then you probably haven't thought of the problem properly, right? If you can think, if you've thought so about something deeply and effectively you can explain it very succinctly a lot of the time when people and this is before you start talking to you you know users or whatever maybe think about defining the problem that you're trying to you know you're attacking him because if you can't articulate it like you know have you really gone into the, the, the nuance of it and actually understood like okay there's this basically when um, I log into this thing, this thing happens. And then this, you know, maybe maybe an example is um, um, with, uh, let's say KYC software. So like know your customer software, like verification of user identities, right? At the moment, I have to spend $1,000 and it takes me two weeks to get feedback from a third party agency to verify the identity of a new user. That's a very clear problem, very clear pain point. It's clear economic value. That is a like major starting point and a reference point that you can start speaking to users about, right? But be specific, avoid being vague. What does it look like and feel like to the users that are experiencing it? And then who encounters the problem? This is critical because when you try to expand, talk to users um, and expand it going forward, that's important. When I say talk to users, I don't mean talk to anyone. I'm talking about talk to prospective users. If you're building um uh, a remittance platform that is going to be somewhat broad right and you could speak to a few people about what are the, what's their experience of sending money back home or whatever receiving money from abroad but if you're doing like um you know tax accounting software don't speak to your you know buddy down the bar about it right he's not going to have any reference point you'll be like oh right yeah good idea right also, there's a thing called the mum test, which, you know, is interesting. If you talk to ideas about people, uh, oftentimes your friends or family will say it's a good idea. It's a false positive, right? Um, it's not necessarily a good idea because your mum 
or your family says it's a good idea. So really critical you go out, understand who you're targeting, prospective users, like people who could potentially be users that you think for this problem, your solution for this problem, and then go and ask them, start talking to them about the problem. If, and we'll go into this in a minute about talking to people, but don't start with the problem. Don't go in and be like, oh, this is a problem that I found. What do you think about it? Because they'll also be like, oh yeah, like there's a way of framing it that you can get value out of. Okay, so what makes a good problem, right? Not all problems are made equal. So some problems are gonna be more effective or good than others. So what problems does it make sense to work on ultimately? It's a popular problem, has over a... um has over a million, maybe a million people experience this, right? And it's a market that you know, users, there are like a lot of people that have this problem. It's a growing problem. Uh, growth rates, like the market itself of the thing, it's getting more and more severe. So every year, more and more people are experiencing this. There's more and more money trying to go into solving it. It's urgent. People experience this right now. It's expensive. People are spending money on how they currently resolve the problem. It's maybe mandatory, right? It might be a legal um, change and it's frequent, like it happens often. Now your problem isn't gonna have all of these aspects, but it needs to have at least one or two, right? So it may not happen hourly. It may not have like a million people using it, but it's got to be one, it's got to have these components for it to be a good problem to work on. If it doesn't have any of these and you're being totally honest and critical of it, it probably isn't a problem worth solving, right? So maybe an example is like, um, um, like the the idea with the friends, like you know the the getting getting friends together on an app. Like when you go into it, it actually is a problem that potentially not enough people have, or it's deceptively popular when actually it's not an expensive problem that people have. Like people don't spend, like people aren't going to spend money on a new thing to do something that they can quite easily do right now, right? Is it, yeah, yes, it's a problem. And it's a nice thing to have if you have an app that got your friends together for an event. But I can just go on iMessage. I can just go on WhatsApp groups. Like it's, a, it's not really a pain point for me. I'm not going to spend money on something that already works well, right? So when you go through it, you're kind of like, okay, now you can start to see that it misses these vital components. Okay, when when you're thinking about the problem, what are questions you should ask yourself? Um, or if you're brainstorming this with a buddy, um, potential co-founder, what, what are questions you can ask yourself in this group setting? Do you... Um, have found a market fit and this goes back to the point of qualification and the rest of it like are you the person that should be working on this right do you actually have the capacity the reference points the understanding to build this or does your partner have it in a dip like have different components to it maybe like your super brilliant full-site engineer and your co-founder is someone who has actually worked in the sector right that's a nice matching um, but if you don't, you know, if you have no relevance to it as well, um, this is important. How big is the market, right? If if it's a billion dollars that are being spent in this market, okay, that's quite interesting. If no one's spending money in this market, or it's very, very, very small, it has a million uh, dollar attachment, that could be a consideration. Now, that's not to say that you don't enter it. Like, there's a lot of companies that do very, very well with smaller markets and they dominate those markets. 
But if it's not a big market, it is a consideration because, you know, other competitors getting involved at some point, you know, they're going to take that market share. Um, and again, that's also, you know, alongside thinking about growth rates for it as well. How acute is the problem? Is it a problem where, you know, let's say it's a teacher thing. It's like a note-taking thing for teachers and teachers are like, it's absolutely fucking infuriating having to do this thing. I spend my nights doing it. I, you know, hours on end doing this thing. And, um, you know, it, it cost me time, it cost me money, it cost me relationships, whatever. That's a really acute problem that you can solve. And people will, you know, be very receptive to a solution that resolves that problem. If it is something like I just said that, like, you know, yeah, it could be a little bit more convenient if there was an app to, like, get friends together. But it's not that acute because I can just do it on a WhatsApp item, a group, right? It's not, it's not like I'm kind of like, you know, oh, it's so difficult to get everyone together. Like I can just message people on WhatsApp in a group. Do you have competition? Now, Peter Thiel, who's again, one of the most fantastic uh, investors in Silicon Valley, early uh, check into, I think one of the earliest checks into Facebook, PayPal Mafia, um, founder of um, uh, Palantir. Um, also worth reading uh, his, his articles. He says that, you know, to, to, to really dominate and to be a unicorn, you have to be a monopoly, right? And it's kind of how you define the market, but you should be completely dominant in that market. But competition is not necessarily a bad thing to validate an idea because competition shows that like there's actually a market for what you're doing. Um, it's not this like random thing. Like people have spent money on it. And it could be that you're going in to attack an existing market with like old incumbents that haven't innovated in ages, right? So competition isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it should be taken into consideration here. If you're trying to get into a market where the dominant company is a billion dollar company and it's a, you know, it's a recent startup, it's growing rapidly, they're going to have a war chest. Like it's just going to be difficult. Like there's no point in trying to come up against it. So consideration there. Um, you could also maybe even go and work for them and then like come up with a product, spin it out of them as well. So like, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, do you want it? Like, is it a thing that you've actually been like, I actually would want, use the solution that I'm thinking about, you know, the problem. Do I want the solution to the problem? Have I interfaced with it before? Did this recently become necessary or possible? Again, the legal infrastructure, the macro events. Is it an idea that you want to work on for years? Like this potentially, if you start up, you could work in for the next 10 years. Think about Mark Zuckerberg, right? He's been doing Facebook for what, 20 years. Amazon, same sort of time zone. Um, is this, you know, are you going to want to do it down the road? Is it scalable? So is it inherently something that actually scales out? Um, obviously, this is skewed towards tech um, startups. Um, but, you know, can this be done at scale? Can a lot of people access this? Can the value from it be be consumed by a lot of people for a low price? And is it an idea space? Now, this is a critical thing. Idea spaces are verticals and sectors in which there's a it's a fertile soil for ideas. So an example of this is like the fintech space in the last few years. There's been an abundance of ideas, innovation, things happening in the fintech space that basically kind of like bolster up the valuations and make it like, somewhat more um valuable as 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 a vertical to go into but going into something like this a bit old school like like social media networks whereas was an idea space in the 20 you know 2015 earlier um not necessarily as much anymore as same as like recruiting software and things like that 
but certain spaces will be more fertile and more receptive. They tend to be the ones of high growth rates as well, but you would want to think very intentionally about this before you go into it because it will be able to attract, you know, different ideas, different opportunities, like the climate space at the moment, right? There's a lot of legislation that's coming in that's going to be like pushing it up, majorly, you know, requiring people to kind of go more green, waste management, things like that. And on the other side, you have, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of like, you know, brain power is going into that. So there's going to be a lot of like, you know, opportunities created within that. Okay, then when you think about like, um getting getting the solution together and problem the team what you need to think about is that your unfair advantages and again this is from y combinator and what they say and uh you know what we've seen as well with our startups and startups coming to us is like the founders are you one of ten are you actually in a minority of people that can solve this problem um they give the example of like just because you were a pm at google does not mean there's a lots of pms like there's lots of people who do this sort of thing. Oh, I went to this university. Yeah, so did like a million other people in the last 20 years, right? Um, are you uniquely positioned? Do you have unique insight? Are you a minority of people that can actually solve this problem? Now, that's not to say that like you want to disqualify yourself completely because, you know, new, you know college grads, people at high school go on to create brilliant startups and ideas and companies. But this is going to position you in a way that gives you a bit more advantage, unfair advantages to doing well. Is the growth, if the, is the market that you want to enter into a growth market, right? Are people actively spending money in this market? Is it growing? Is it becoming more prolific? Uh, is the product 10 times better than the alternative? Because if it's not, people aren't going to switch over to you. Is there a low cost of acquisition for users, right? So getting new users, is it costing you a lot of money to advertise, to do whatever, to get that new user? Or can it be done cheaply? If can, the closer to zero the acquisition cost, the better, because it means that you can really scale your uh, startup to get loads and loads and loads and loads of people for like not as much cost, right? And that's a, you know, it, it, is that the case there? And then can you potentially create monopolistic power? right? As you grow, it's harder to compete with you. The bigger you get, the, the more, the harder it is for incumbents to come in and challenge you. Is the problem you're solving able to facilitate that? Or is it going to be something that's like closer to kind of like much more competitive market? Okay, so that was assessing the problem. Does anyone have any questions on uh, the problem and defining, understanding, uh, thinking about the problem that you'll be sol trying to solve? You put your hand up or put it in the in the chat. Um, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Um, um you want to unmute and ask a question? Okay, yeah. Good afternoon. Hey. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so um first and foremost, I really want to comment. I, I say comment, but I've been I'm learning a lot from this from your talk so far. Yeah. So my question is this coming from the you talked about. Sorry, am I audible enough? Yeah, yeah, I can hear. Okay. So you talked about um articulating the problem one, one attempts to solve. Yeah. So I want to ask, you mentioned things like what does it okay, yeah, what makes a good problem? You talked about popular, you talked about growth, you talked about urgency and um, costs. 
legal matters and then frequency of the problem. So I want to ask, what of if you um, envision a problem that at the very, at its most, is not urgent, but you believe that creating a solution can lead to its urgency? Let me explain. Look at um, Netflix, for instance. Netflix mm -hmm. was created to solve the issue of video rentals. That's the solution they came with. That's the problem they are solving, video rentals. Now, I, personally for me, I didn't really see an issue with video rentals, but I myself as an example. And judging from what I've been seeing online before Netflix came into existence, I didn't see video rentals as a big issue or as a um as an average issue that should require investors putting their money to into a solution for this for a solution built around it so what of if you as an as a founder you 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 see a potential problem but she put but she use the adjective you see a potential problem does it make it a good problem so <clears throat> i think it's an interesting point you raised there so um Uber is another oh, sorry, example sorry, of this. Sorry, please. Sorry to cut you short, please. Let me add an example. Look at OpenAI. Yeah, ChatGPT and all that. Yeah. Before Chat, ChatGPT came into play, no one saw the urgent need for AI. Now, OpenAI came in with DALI first. Then came in also with ChatGPT. And then from every corner, we saw, we, we, we've seen Google Bar, we've seen, um, we've seen other obvious AI tools. We had them before, like Grammarly and the likes, but nobody really saw an urgency for obvious AI tools to be in existence or obvious AI solutions to be in existence. So my question is this, does a potential problem make a good problem? Yeah, that's Okay, so I think that I think the, the AI one is a is a is a is a is be very cautious around the AI one, right? Because there's also like a lot of early adopters that are getting excited about it, but a lot of the AIs that's being created have like no commercial viability, right? Same with crypto, right? There's a lot of lot of activity in the space, but there was a lot of early adoption, but they weren't actually solving problems. I think a good example of what you just said is Uber, right? So Uber, basically, I now get frustrated if I'm waiting more than like two minutes for like a cab right if you order on uber because it's like if it's not there immediately you're like oh that's crazy right but years ago you would have had to stand up on the corner with your hand up waiting you know things pass by whatever so it's created this urgency and this kind of like you know thing for it now i'd be careful about like going into sectors where like those, those are a bit kind of like unique because they've been able to create these sectors right they've actually created new sectors like ride share and things like that that didn't exist beforehand so there's somewhat you somewhat make yourself susceptible to go into tarpa ideas where like it seems very attractive but thinking about it of like i'm i've got a problem and if i create this solution then it's going to lead to urgency i would say two things i think one it may be the case that you can create the next Uber, but I would also say that you're probably thinking about it from the perspective of a solution, right? You're probably thinking about it from like the other side of it. So I'd be very careful to be like 
framing it on OpenAI and Uber. Because the other thing as well, like those guys have basically created industries. They also have billions of dollars of like, you know, upfront that they can spend it on. What we're saying here is like, these are general guidelines to creating stuff to be like, is the problem urgent? Like, do you, do, can you, can you identify problems where like people want to, to be solved immediately? Like, are they getting to tax accounting software? And like, oh, it's like, you know, there's that I, I want it to be solved now, like either from like an actual user interaction thing, or there's like, it's a problem as of right now in, in, in this context. So I would say like, you know, what we're presenting are guidelines to like, you know, think about ideas and validate the problems. You could very much like, you know, create a solution, create a startup that actually creates urgency and creates this kind of like new need of urgency and new stuff. But I would be wary about trying to create problems with the intention of doing that. Because what Uber did is they actually zoned in on solving the problem of like, um, um, greater access to rides, um, you know, because of spare rides, as well as like, you know, access to them, you know, because they couldn't get uh, taxi cabs there. So it was still an urgent problem that they were solving. So yes, you can frame it now that they've created new, you know, urgencies, but a lot of these companies as well were originally tackling problems of urgency and problems that they sought out, like Uber specifically looked at how do we solve the problem of a lack of access to taxis at the moment? Because the only taxis we can get at this conference are um, um, the ones that have a license. Whereas if you opened it up so anyone can be a taxi, that really you know solves our problem. So that's what I would say there is continue to look for the problems. Don't necessarily go into be like, oh, our problem is going to create the, the urgency later on. Really look at the, uh, the problem right now. Um, that's what I would say to that one. OpenAI, do not use OpenAI as a reference point for what you're doing. Um, OpenAI from the start had about $10 billion to work with. So like that is not a company that is going to work the same way um, to, you know, start up, um, you know, starting, starting from scratch. Yeah, thank you. Um, can I ask one more question? Um, yes, if it's quick. Okay, so please, um, this is concerning the unfair advantages from Y Combinator. Now you might get you might get to this question later on in this um talk, but in case you don't, one unfair advantage is acquisition. So now is there an is there an arc around if they are building a product where adoption is at its early stages, but your prob your solution. Your product, the solution to a very key problem, but the tech that powers your solution, it's adoption. Okay. Is that I, I'm not. I'm. I think this is quite a detailed question. Can you just um put it on the chat and we can maybe answer okay. it asynchronously? Okay. Yeah, so we can move on. Okay, yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. So market validation. So this is the next step. So once you have a problem you've identified, um you've got to validate it, right? So now you've got to start testing it. So let's say that you've done the brainstorming, you've done the assessment, it looks like a problem that you think you might make sense to work on. Um, what does it make to, to validate it? So example here, if it's not a profitable hobby, if it's not profitable, it's a hobby, not a job, right? So absolutely critical that you are entering something that will make money. Biggest thing that there's a lot of startups do is they kind of like create something and it's free and it's like, oh, okay, it's like a vanity metric that people have signed up for it or whatever, but people aren't actually paying for it. 
Okay, so framework for validation. How do you actually go about validating um, that something is going to work? So one, write down the problem, articulate it. We've talked about this. Not the solution. Determine if the problem is tier one. Is it worth your time to work on it, right? Is it meeting that criteria that we've talked about in terms of like the actual, is it a good problem? Have a look at the existing solutions. How is it being tackled at the moment? Are there quick, cheap fixes? That is a concern, right? If there are expensive fixes for the current problem, that's an interesting market. As you talked about with the event planning, if it can be done really cheaply and easily, then like, you know, is it really worth your time working on it? Is it going to be actually that valuable? That uh, Can you capture that much economic value from it? Look for pain in existing solutions. Right? Are there some solutions that actually could be better if you tweak them the UI? That's what Dropbox did. Right, There was a lot of competitors for Dropbox. Same with Google, a lot of competitors. What they did is they came in with a better product that actually like optimized um, the user interface. Right, And that's why they championed it and that's why they won, won, won the market. Verify there's a budget for the solution. Not just you, um, not just that like people will spend money on the product, on the solution, right? B2B, obviously, you're going to a business to, you know, um, to sell it. And so there tends to be some money available for certain solutions. Consumer apps, like, are they going to spend the money on it, right? If you're targeting, if you have a children-focused app um, or a student-focused app, students are very hard to monetize. Normally, they don't have any money, right? So trying to get them to pay 100 bucks a month for content uh, that they can just get on YouTube they're just going to go to YouTube, right? There's a free alternative. Um, but having like a subscription movie app or whatever probably isn't going to be that helpful. Then use your prospects to define your roadmap. So go through um, who you think is a prospective user and start talking to them, start engaging with them. What validation is not. So it's not going to tell you if it's going to be a billion dollar company. It's not going to tell you if like millions of people are going to use it or investors that are going to invest in it. What you're doing here is you're validating, you're gathering evidence to convince yourself that it's worth pursuing more. Then you can start getting, the idea is the starting point. Now you've worked out, is the problem worth working on? And then I'm validating it to see whether actually it's continuing for it. We're a bit pressed for time, so we're just going to um, move on through, quickly through here. Okay, timing. So how to tell if the timing is right, right? So we talked about this earlier, timing is a critical factor in um, the making of something. So a lot of things are fantastic. Um, they get released in 2005. They go absolutely nowhere. The exact same product with a different company released in 2020. It does really, really well. This has actually happened a lot of times, right? Um, some of the biggest companies in the world, um, you know, startups, they had direct competitors years ago um, or it wasn't ready in the market, like search engines. There was like 30 search engines for before Google. Google hit it with a better product in the right time. And that's why it kind of exploded with growth. Okay, so how do you tell if it's the right time? Building something quickly, getting it into the market, testing the market, testing people's reaction to it, talking to users, after users, um, speaking to users and iterating. So the quicker you can move to build something, get it into the market, get that feedback, the quicker that you're going to understand whether it's something that people will pursue. And when I'm talking about getting something in the market, I'm talking about an MVP, a minimum viable product. This is the absolute minimum product that you can ship to start to validate your whether your solution is actually solving the problem and whether people will see it as valuable and potentially buy it. Don't fall in love with the MVP because it will be trashed by you and by users, and you'll need to iterate, you'll need to change it, right? So you're 
continuing to be in love with the problem that you're trying to solve, not the solution. So if you come in with a solution, if you come in with a product, that's a problem, right? Because you're going to be like, your reference point, your center of gravity is the problem itself. It's not what you are creating. That will change and it needs to change in accordance to how people react to it. So the, the MVP is the first step in the learning process. And the key to it doing well is to do it quickly, get it into the market quickly, begin learning. Um, and it's not the end state. And you're going to be quite quickly, you need to understand whether it solves the problem, right? So again, if you're making a network of a particular kind of person, is it the case that that network can be validated by creating a Facebook group with those particular people? If you're creating a um, certain shop for something, is there a no-code solution that you could throw up a landing page with a sign-up that actually validates what you're doing? And we'll talk about the MVPs as well in a second. So classic, classic mistakes in MVPs and developing products of any sort are, are like the follows, following. So assumptions. The users are going to love these features, right? You're assuming that people are going to like this, whatever. Create it, ship it, look at the data, right? Do people actually interact with it? A lot of people will say that they like your product. If they're not buying it, they don't like it. Right, they haven't actually bought it. They haven't got into their, you know, into their pockets and actually spent money on what you're shipping. Probably not that valuable, right? But you may think that they might love it going into it. So your assumptions are wrong. So really think about: Are you making assumptions before you've shipped something? Because that can be dangerous as well. Anchoring, getting stuck on the first idea, right? Being hell bent on you had this idea and I'm not going to change it. Chances are what you initially think of won't scale in the market. It'll be very, very, very different to what scales. Facebook, for example, started off with a uh, an image uh, captioning system that allowed you to basically um, go through homework and revision, right? To, to, and then that morphed into a social media network. And it's now basically the biggest thing in the world with like 5 billion people on it, um, maybe even more than that, doing all manner of things but it initially was something and they rapidly moved around it when they started to see the interaction from users. Copying, Steve Jobs didn't care about market research, why should I? Steve Jobs was unique, right? Steve Jobs uh, lived and worked at the very bleeding edge of technology and the, the wave of personal commute, computing coming in. It's a very different context for you to create like a SaaS product, right? Don't just mimic what Steve Jobs did, but you can learn from great entrepreneurs, right? You can learn how they, they did stuff, their processes, how they think about things, but don't just mimic them because it's not going to work. It's never going to be the same context that they existed in. Um, shipping it. We've launched X new features this quarter. So don't be focused on, you know, the goal should be to like ship X amount of features. Don't get stuck in this build trap. Focus on like results, the objectives that you're doing. Look into OKRs, objectives and key results, right? To assess actually getting stuff done. And then paralysis. Actually, wait, we should be building this instead. So every week changing things around. Avoid getting stuck in things, ship things, understand, talk to users. A lot of this ambiguity, honestly, will be done, um, will be can be tackled by speaking to users. That's like the biggest thing you can do. Like speak to people, prospective users about what you're building and the problem. 
Also, don't let the product be your baby, right? Because you're going to change it. You're going to, you know, you want feedback and you want criticism of it. Don't make it an extension of yourself. You need to be reactive to it and iterating it. Okay, you've shipped something. How do you measure success, right? Biggest thing you can do is measuring. You need to measure everything in startups. As soon as you start shipping it, you need to start um, reviewing it, seeing what works, because that's actually what's going to determine your success, but also cutting things that don't work. 10xing the things that do, doubling down on things that do, dropping the things that don't. So what type of metric best suits my product? This is going to change per product, right? If it's a business product, it's a B2B product, uh, business to business, that is going to have a very particular set of metrics compared to a B2C, like a network, a social media network. Where's my product in this life cycle, right? How advanced is it? Is it the very early stages MVP or... Is it the case that you ship something and you're trying to get feedback and review from it? Who are the stakeholders for my metrics, right? So who am I reporting to? Is it me internally as a solo founder? Is it a co-founding team? Is it my investors? What is my North Star metric? What is the most important metric that I can possibly be looking at um, that I can kind of like um, respond to and, 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 and have this the critical part? Is it sales? Is it users who are in my app using and talking? Is it... Um, you know, transaction volume on the platform? And then what types of signals am I looking at? Signals, again, beyond the scope of this of, of this, of this um, uh, video, but um, you have leading signals and lagging signals, right? So leading signals are like, you know, responses to like a Twitter page or whatever. Lagging signals are like, you know, things that weigh down the pipeline. You getting uh, transactions in your remittance app that can be detected potentially by doing something. So look at the positioning, the funneling of the users as well and the user journey and how to pick up on that. Okay, I emphasize this a lot, but talk to your users. That's the most critical thing that you can be doing in a startup. It's going to lead to so, helps fix so much ambiguity. It's going to make sure that you build things that people want. It's going to make sure that you, you know, um, actually have this intuition around the sector in which you're trying to build. So what does it mean to speak to users? So the most successful founders speak to users and you want to consider these points. Finding your users, where do they hang out online? Where do they hang out in person? Where can I speak to them? Sometimes it means rolling. If you're building like gym software or fitness software, guess what? Everyone hangs out in a gym. Go to the gym. Talk to people at the gym. Make friends, right? That's going to be why talking to users. Building something for doctors. Go to hospitals. Speak to doctors. Reach out to people on LinkedIn. You need to know what, what, what questions to ask and also like showing and not telling them, right? Are you are you speaking to them just to get ideas about a problem or are you kind of getting feedback on an app? So there are going to be different ways in which you're going to be speaking to them as well, but always speak to them. Okay, why speak to users? Startups don't build in silos, right? You are not an island onto yourself. Like the whole reason startup exists is because people pay for your product. Right. So if you don't speak to the users that potentially will be paying for it, how do you know if what you're building is successful? So speak to your users. Learn from them. Um, Brian Chesky uh, is the guy on the right here. He's the founder of um, Airbnb. Right. And I believe the guy on the left here is one of the first users of Airbnb. Um, and he now is like, I think, you know, quite senior in the product teams or something. What they did is they basically set up their own Airbnb and they ran the Airbnb through the platform, right? 
and they went and spoke to users. They lived the user experience. It's called the dog food model. Like they used their own product. And so they became their users and they were speaking to their users and they were going to like, you know, farmer's markets to speak to prospective users. So there's deep, deep intuition around their user base that then led them to create something that is immensely valuable, right? Now, Airbnb is one of the most valuable companies in the world because they've had, like, they deeply understand what problem they're solving and what their users want. How to find users, Reddit, LinkedIn. There are so many online forums you can use. People talk about their problems in certain things. Reddit literally has subreddits for the topic that you wanna know about, right? That's something that you can read through to understand, follow up with people, DM people, go to Facebook groups, in-person events, conferences, meetups. If, you're, if, you're, if you've got a health tech app, you should be at like the marathons that people are running. Um, the, the sports events that people will be, will be doing, speak to them about their experience, what they're doing, what they want to do, what their problems are. And also if you have a product, you can run it through them as well in the time. Okay, so quickly, how to, how to run an interview. So you speak to users, you found users, how do you now talk to the users? So video, phone, or in person, there can be different contexts, but you know that's important. Generally speaking, if you can get someone in person, that's like ideal because you can see their reactions in their face and the rest of it. What you want to be doing is building rapport. Um, not necessarily introducing your product, even if you have one, right? Don't start with like, hey, I've got this idea, like look at it. Because immediately they're going to, if they've sat down with you for coffee or whatever, to talk about product, the first thing they're going to be doing is like, oh, yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. It's a vanity metric. You want to understand how they interact with the product, if they're buying it, if they're doing, you know, how they interact with the, the, the interface or whatever. Um, that's critical. It's a critical part of this here. Because if you don't have that understanding, then you're not really getting value from that, that, that session. Listen, don't talk, right? Don't guide their process through it. Don't be like, okay, now do this. What do you think of this? Da, da, da. See how they interact with your product or service or, you know, how do they guide themselves through the interface? Do they end up buying it? Um, ask open-ended questions. Tell me about that. What was your experience doing this? Um, and record and take notes. Massive, right? The more you record, the more you understand how people are doing it. And again, a bit beyond the scope of this thing, there's a lot of content online about talking to users. But certain tips you can do is like, you know, record what they're doing, write down a quote from them. So you, it's a reference point for you and have like very consistent notes. Like, you know, what do they think about this? When do they got to this page? What do they do? Okay, questions to ask potential um, uh, customers. Tell me about you do X today. How do you send money back home? How do you uh, work out? How do you find workout routines? How do you talk to the doctor? Um, what's the hardest thing about doing that? Why is it hard? How often do you have to do this thing? Why is it important for your company to do that? What do you have to solve this problem yourself? So what you're doing is um, figuring out their point of view. You're not being like, hey, what do you think about my product, right? And then you can start crafting these points of like everyone's saying this, like this is a glaring, obvious opportunity here. Follow-up questions. What do you mean by that? Can you tell me more about that? Why is that important to you, right? What not to ask? Will you use our product? Which feature would you make our product better? Yes or no questions. Again, there's no way to expand on yes or no questions. How would you do a um, how would you uh, be a better product to look like? How would a better product look like to you? Or two questions at the same time, like answer me this and then answer me that. 
one thing is that like your job is to come up with the features and the solution. It's not in the feet and and like the it's not the the job of the customer. If they're offering up that information, that could be helpful. But just but just kind of like forcing that uh, um, answer out of them isn't actually going to deliver value because a lot of the time they don't have the insight and the interfa- and like the understanding of the other points that products you know users use to build that solution. So just being like, oh, what feature should we add? Isn't necessarily helpful, right? Um, that's your job. You need to consolidate the learnings of these interviews and come up with those features. It's not going to be that person, you know, that that the interviewer. That's not as if they could. They could maybe one day come up with a great feature, but it's oftentimes not going to be that. Okay, then when you've spoken to the users, what do you do? Right, you take notes, you synthesize your learnings, and then you're going to be like looking at the hypothesis, right, of the problem solution hypothesis, and then start sketching out your MVP. Now, one of, one of interesting bits of advice I've heard is that with businesses and startups, what you want to be doing is chucking everything at di- disproving your hypothesis, right? Your hypothesis is that people care about this thing or this is the solution to the problem. Try and disprove it, right? Because if you're disproving it and it still holds true, that's really interesting. That's something to take note of and that's something maybe to double down on. But you should be testing it the entire time. Okay. <clears throat> um. Are people paying money for it? Um, have you tried the solution by yourself? So this is a little bit more on the product. And I know that we're, we're, we're overrunning time at the moment. So I'm just going to start to wrap up here. And finally say that like your MVP does not have to be this extensive product that you have to spend tons and tons of time on. It can be a sketch. And if you're solving a problem, well, a sketch theoretically is sometimes enough to do that because you can walk them through okay well this is something we've come up with what do you think about this so on this page you would do this this page you would do this and this page you would do this but show don't tell right put it together quickly show them don't tell them how to interact with it and then see their feedback see how they interact with it but getting something out there and getting feedback from something is going to help you validate what you've done to progress and then if they're not responding to it well iterate it change it continue to speak to users Okay, so rounding off, what are some good books that you guys can read um, to figure out how to do startups? So The Lean Startup's a really good one, Zero to One, Hard Thing uh, About Hard Things, Founders at Work, The Mum Test, and How to Win Friends, Influence People. So those are definitely startup books that I would look. All of them, I'm pretty sure, are on Audible, or there's probably free versions online. Um, if not, there's like cheap ones on Amazon as well that you can take a look at. But definitely worthwhile you know, devouring these books, um, you know, as soon as possible, if you haven't. Cool. So I know we overran there. So apologies for that. But the recording is up if you had to hop off and hop back on again or whatever, or if you missed the start. Um, please do feel free to reach out to us. Um, I'll go back to the first slide where you can get the details of us. So um, Adiverse is a venture capital fund. So we invest in startups. And then Nodo is a news platform to find out about them. Um, feel free to reach out. I'll hang around here for questions if anyone has them now. Um, and I try and answer them to the best of my ability or point you in the right direction. Um, but thank you so much for everyone for turning up. Feel free to drop off now, but I'll wait around for five minutes to answer questions. Just put your hand up or put it in the chat. I'll try and answer them as well. 
Um, so one of the questions we have coming in was, um, will these slides be available? Yes, they will. We'll send them out after this. Cool. Um, what happens when you're building a solution with, where its technology has a low adoption rate, e.g. blockchain? How can a founder handle this? Um, well, okay, so Roy's answer was, I think other change technology to something more suitable or educate audience. Yeah, I think this is a, um, and Vincent answered it, need to first use, um, to find use case. But yeah, so I think this is a really point. It goes back to the point we were saying about marrying yourself to a certain technology. Focus on the actual problem you're solving first, right? So if, if you're going in and no one's using the technology, that warning sign should be going off in your brain because if, if no one's using it, like no one cares, like consumers, the end user doesn't care what technology you use right 99 times over 100 unless it's a very particular thing right like there's a you have to use this technology to you know, encrypt something or whatever they don't care right so forcing yourself to use something you need to look at growth markets you need to look at problems with those growth markets chances are the technology could be anything right lots of different options so really think about like solving the problem first marry yourself to the problem not the technology that is absolutely critical um any other questions um uh, i think nodo will be following up with the, with the certificates after this about the um the certificates if, if you participated in this session um david godwin or Godwin David, sorry, I'm not sure of the name. Okay. Uh, my question is about MVP. So normally my my thought has always been that MVP are um, your minimum viable product you put out there for your customers um, to use and test. But you um, said something about your MVP being a sketch. And also, I wanted to make clarification on that. And also, um how what is the number of users of your mvp do you think is enough so one number of users will be enough for you to test your um, mvp so you can know um when to put your full product out there so i don't know if you understand me yeah i think i get the question so what i would say with the mvp is that it doesn't need to be that extensive right what your mvp and it will change per user and per product um the mvp needs to validate it needs to be the minimum thing to validate the idea the the, the solution they're building right that's what mvp is and you'll need to do lots of mvps in your process you'll need to do an mvp for a feature you know like a new iteration new product design whatever what i'm saying with a sketch is that like a sketch is enough to validate that sometimes, right? Some of the best ad tech companies, I can't remember the name there, what their MVP was, they went on, they, they had, you know, 500 calls of teachers and they held up this sketch and they were like, look, this is what we're creating. What do you think? They went through the problem and all the teachers were like, yes, sign me up. That is exactly what I need right now. That is exactly what I need. They didn't need to hack something together. They need to build anything. They need to like spend hours and hours and hours and hours of coding. They just needed that, right? So it depends on the company. But you need to think of MVP as not as like an actual thing, like a status, like it has to be this thing that's built this way. 
it's relative to what you're building. It's the minimum viable thing that will validate that you're right or wrong on this on this hypothesis of what, what your solution is to the problem, right? So, so that's the comment there. Like it could be a sketch, but it could be more things, right? You, you can't really, you know, MVP for a car, like a new solar powered car, you know, that's not really going to be a sketch, right? It's probably going to be something a bit more extensive. And that's where R&D comes in. So again, it will change. You'll change by product. The other question you had was around the number of users. Again, it's like, how long is a piece of string, right? There's no one answer for that. It, it, it's, 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 you will know it when you see it. Um, what you need to be looking at is setting out the metrics beforehand to judge whether it's being successful, right? So if you have a social network, and as an example, if you have a social network and you've managed to attract 30 users over two years, probably a shit product, right? That is not validating your your idea. Like there's no, there's market. If you had 30 enterprise clients for a you know landing page that you put together for a new B2B product in a weekend and next week you get 30 clients, that's pretty positive, you know, reaction to it. Product market fit, there are some metrics around it, but it's kind of like, you know, when when 40% of your user base would actually be like upset if they couldn't access your products anymore. Getting to that point, you know, with with an early stage company is uh, is tricky. Requires a lot of experimentation. But there's no there's no number. There's no one ever is going to be like there's enough users. A lot of it's down to like growth rates. Um, looking at like you know what actually does growth look like to justify shifting into um you know the uh the um the next the next stage of investment or whatever. So that that that's kind of critical as well for it. Um. Yeah, there's no there's no specific number that you're going to be using for this. Um, it's it's going to change on um on the back of you know whatever you're doing. Um. Yeah. Anything else? Um. Any other questions that people have? Feel free to put your hand up. Uh, blocks, Ola. Yeah, I already asked my question in the uh, comment section. I think you can read it. Oh, okay. Um, I have a team and we currently have an MVP, which is solving one urgent problem and two potential problems in one application. We have the been working on it and modifying it for over a year now due to constant research. We've done 60% of development and we're now looking for investors to accelerate development. Where do you suggest? Yeah, I mean the Nodo grants is, is a is an opportunity. If you have a if you have a deck, if you have something you want to pitch us on, you can pitch us on pitch at, at adverse.co. Um, Did you say adverse.com? Dot .co. .co. Okay, I'll copy it. Yeah. Thank you. Yep, yep. So send it over there and we'll definitely uh we'll definitely take a look. Uh Emmanuel Brighton. Okay, um sorry, I, I just joined a few minutes ago, not too long. I, I overheard, I think someone just asked a question about uh, investors telling them to launch first. 
um, from my own experience so far, I since I started building, I have had opportunities where I had to reach out to investors to come in, send them my pitch deck, and then um, reached out to potential investors, share my visions with them, and I discovered that uh, about sixty percent of them uh, don't really get back to us, and it was of recent I I, I got to I leave my hands on some books and I've been reading. I discovered that most of the most of these investors, if you are focusing all your effort on fundraising while you are uh, in the idea or early stage of your startup, is a big mistake. And yeah. I think yeah. startup uh, investors are usually willing to risk their capital only once they see a real function, a real traction. And it's something yeah. that I usually wanted to talk about because most of the investors that came in, you know, these guys they are coming in to tell you that okay, they need. 25% uh, of your company shares for a, a smaller amount of money that, you know, won't really what's make the, sense. Sorry, not, not to cut you off, but like, what what's the question you're asking? Now, my question is, why, um, how how do we, you know, come up with um, Nudo Grant and um, what, what's the applicable um, ways we can reach out to Nudo for a grant? Well, I think Nodo is on the call. Uh, if you want to unmute, um, you can reach out for a Nodo grant. Nodo grants are earlier stage. To get investment, investors generally would like, you know, there's lots of factors that you can reach out for investment. You know, investors will, in, in idea stage, but like if there's like a really, really strong idea with a strong team behind it. So it really depends. Generally speaking though, like you want to be somewhere traction or like have conviction about what you're doing before you do it. But um, Nodo grants at earlier stage, so like somewhere if you want to answer that. Yep, thanks so much, uh, George. Yes, uh, so thanks so much for the question around Nodo grants. So anyone can apply. So the only criteria we have is that, um, as George said, we are looking at a very strong pitch deck and also to fill up a form. So anyone can go to nodo.xyz slash grants um, it's also in the chat dropped as well. And uh, we essentially get back to most projects within two to three working weeks as well. Thanks so much. Yeah, so if you're earlier stage, definitely check out the grants. Um, but, you know, in, you, you can reach out to investors at earlier stage, but, you know, um, it's, 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 it's time to think about whether the team's qualified, traction, the rest of it. So it changes. Um, any other questions? Feel free to put your hand up. And uh, we'll be uh, happy to ask, answer them. Okay, um, we are gonna wrap things up now. Um, sounds like everyone's answered. Feel free to follow up with us online or on Twitter, um, and then we will uh, hopefully get back to you. But thank you so much for your time today. And as we said, we'll, we'll, we'll also be sharing this uh, presentation as well going forward. Then we've got one last question. Go for it. Adeni? Uh, do you want to unmute and ask a question? Oh, yeah. You, Sorry. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, good evening. Um, my question was that are we to direct the pitch, the pitch uh, to other verse? Is it yep. what are we sending it to the email or what? Or are, or are we meant to apply on the site online? Because I went to the site just now, 
and I saw that you have to. Uh, what's it you called? can do both. Like, fill out you can send us a pitch deck as well. Okay, as a normal email. Alright. Yeah, I just have pitch at outerburst.co. Alright. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, we'll wrap things up there. Thank you so much for coming, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks so much.